you're listening to the Bearded Theologians podcast, hosted by Zach Bechtold and Matt Franks. If you'd like to learn more about the Bearded Theologians, you can go online at beardedtheologians.com, where we have past podcasts, blogs, and a couple items for sale. So check us out, beardedtheologians.com. Thank you for listening, and enjoy this week's show. You're listening to the Bearded Theologians podcast, hosted by Matt Franks and Zach Bechtold. And it is Christmas Eve today as we record this and heading into tomorrow Christmas. Matt and I want to uh, wish you a very Merry Christmas, um, or holiday season, Happy New Year, however it is for you. And we want to uh, just encourage you as uh, wherever you find yourself this season uh, to simply find joy in those moments, be present with your loved ones, uh, whether it's friends or family or whomever you find yourself with. Um, we hope that you find joy and hope this season, and want to thank you for being on this ride with us this year. Um, we want to thank. We always uh, say thank you for our listeners. Um, you definitely help us uh, make the show work, and we've it's been a great year this year. And um, as we look forward to the next year, um, we know we've got some really cool things planned out for uh, to be a part of and uh, people to be on the show. We've just enjoyed the conversations we've had. So we think for uh, we're thankful for those people that have come on and talked to us, and thankful for. Um, you know, all the conversations that Zach and I've had this year um, in regards to theology and all other things that go along with that. And so we want to provide a special kind of um, special Christmas podcast with you. Um, I had the luxury of sitting down with um, Rebecca Simon Peter, um, who is a United Methodist clergywoman um, who's doing amazing things uh, with a program called Creating Culture Renewal. Um, she has a new book. Uh, that has come out called Dream Like Jesus. And, and I figured like this would be a good way for us to start the new year. And so uh, enjoy this uh, interview with her. And um, again, listeners, we thank you for you. Um, don't forget to go on our website at beardedtheologians.com and check out all of our uh, stuff. Um, you know, download several of our podcasts to listen to as you're traveling here and there. And, um, you know, we thank you for you. And so for the Bearded Theologians, I'm Matt Franks. I'm Zach Bechtold. Thanks for checking us out. You're listening to the Bearded Theologians podcast hosted by Matt Franks and Zach Bechtold. Um, this week, uh, Zach is running a little bit behind um, getting ready for um, Christmas Eve services, but um, we have the chief visionary, Rebecca Simon-Peter. Um, she's the author of uh, Dream Like Jesus and the founder and creator of Creating a Culture of Renewal. And we're glad to have her on the show today. And she's going to talk to us about some of the things that she's got going on and with her new book and everything. And so Rebecca, uh, share uh, with us a little bit about what uh, is going on in your world. Okay, thanks, Matt. It's great to be here. I really appreciate the opportunity to be with the Bearded Theologians. <laughs> I've admired you guys uh, visually and just the creativity of your title for a long time. And I'm just thrilled to be here today to talk with you about Dream Like Jesus, Deepen Your Faith and Bring the Impossible to Life. This book, Matt, has been five years in the making. <laughs> and I was pregnant for a long, long time with this book. And finally, it's come out. So I'm just really thrilled that it's seen the light of day. Um, the book is really designed to help people discover Jesus in a new way, but not only discover Jesus in a new way, but kind of discover themselves in a new way. In the book, I talk about moving from discipleship to apostleship. And I'm pretty passionate about that because I think that, well, first off, I'm not a cradle Christian. You know, I was born and raised Jewish and I was in raised reform and I became an Orthodox Jew through 
these God experiences. And then I wound up in the Jew, in the uh, Christian community because I had a Jesus experience. So I didn't start, you know, with this at all. But as I've looked at the Bible, as I've read the Bible and I've read the Old Testament, you know, a lot, and then the New Testament with fresh eyes and bringing all my background, a, a long background in recovery circles, uh, it just occurred to me that there's a whole lot going on in the Bible that does not get really dealt with in church and doesn't get mentioned in church and doesn't get taught in church. And it just occurred to me that, that the church is missing out on a whole lot of good Jesus stuff. And so I really wanted to bring that to the light. I wanted to bring the kind of the miracle making, co-creative capacities to light that I just think we kind of skim over uh, as leaders. And so in some ways, Matt, this book is really directed to you and me, you know, like leaders in the church and, and people who have a real vested interest in the church. How do we, how do we move beyond standard Christianity to um, like Christianity, follower of Jesus, part two, you know, 2.0. I look at discipleship as like 1.0 and then apostleship is 2.0. And, so, and that's something yeah. like I, I enjoyed. I, I've been able to, to dive in a little bit to your book. I haven't been able to read the whole thing just yet. Still, um, you know, I, I like to take these kind of books and, and baby steps because there's so much stuff in here to process to, um, to, to really to like lean into a little more. I feel like on these kind of books, you, you do need a, your, your time. And so as I've been processing this book, one of the things that I love about the book is how you share kind of how you got where you were and what you've yeah. seen and, and that perspective of, um, of not necessarily being that um, Christian that, you know, went to church on Sunday mornings as a child and had the felt boards and like, you know, like carried their Bible around knowing that they were going to be a pastor because that's what their, you know, great aunt had told them one time, you know, like I love those kind of perspectives. And some of that's coming from my perspective. Like I didn't, I was in the same boat. I didn't come to Christ until I was 17. Um, and so um, I love when I hear those stories because it's just like, wow, like it kind of reaffirms the, you know, that call um, that I have and, and where God has um, opened my eyes to see things that I hadn't seen. And also yeah. kind of like you perplexed at what like the church misses out on. Um, know, right? <laughs> and, and I always think of it like that. Um, and, and I would think that it's, we've forgotten how to um, those basics and, and it's not necessarily like Sunday school basics. Like I think that that's one level, but it's like the whole other level of those kind of that latter side of the faith of sharing their story, of sharing their why, why they like to follow Jesus, why they go to church on Sunday and they get hung up on that. And I think that that's where like your whole idea of discipleship, moving from discipleship to apostleship is important. And for some of our listeners who may not be as attuned to those words, would you kind of flesh the discipleship and apostleship words out for us a little bit? Yeah, yeah, you bet. So discipleship is a word that comes from the Latin, discipulus, uh, for the nerds among us, and it means student or follower. Uh, and think discipline, you know, discipline is a part of that. Um, and uh, discern comes from that same root, D-I-S-C. So that's the first step. And so these were people that followed Jesus, and there weren't only disciples of Jesus. I mean, that's teachers had followers. They had students, and um, Jesus had students. He had followers. He was teaching them, but this is such an important but, Matt, he was teaching them not just for the sake of always following Jesus, you know, like 
like baby ducks behind a mom, but so that they would be able to function as apostles because he calls them apostles first. And then, but their first step in apostleship is to be disciples. Now the word apostle comes from the Greek. Sounds like it's the same as Latin because it's got that P-L-E at the end, but it's not. It's from apostolos. And in one of the forms of that verb means those who are being sent. Apostolmenos, I think. I don't know. I don't quite remember my um, seminary Greek, but those who are being sent. So the first is that the first step is following. And they followed. They followed Jesus very closely. They traveled with him. They watched what he ate. They watched how he talked to people. They watched how he prayed. You know, they sort of listened on his relationship with God. But then they, they did all that in order to be sent. So they were sent forth. And they were sent not just here, you're out of the nest, go. But they would be ambassadors. They would be his emissaries. They would be people who were anointed and appointed and sent forth. I talk about the five A's of apostleship elsewhere. But those five A's include being anointed, appointed, ambassadors, accountable, and... Uh, there's one more I can't think of right now. But so they, they carried his message. You know, they were they were to be like mini Jesuses. And so for us, you know, we follow, follow, follow so we can absorb. And then we go forth to, to share and to spread. And in Jesus's case, those were the people that actually carried out his vision. Here, this I think is kind of radical. Jesus didn't actually carry out his own vision. He wasn't the guy that actually ushered in the kingdom. Yes, he did. And he didn't. And the reason I say that is because, of course, he did, but he taught his people how to do it. They went out, okay? So long before email, long before the USPS, long before any of that, people carried a message. And they carried the message. They, they cast out the demons. They healed the sick. You know, they did all that. And it, so it wasn't just Jesus doing this miraculous stuff out there. They were doing it. And I think that's really important. So in the book, I talk a lot about co-creating miracles with God. And that's what I mean. When we step into this phase two of, of uh, being a friend of Jesus, of being a carrier of the kingdom, a proclaimer of peace, we are ones that co-create miracles with God. And I just think that's awesome. And I think we don't talk about that enough, you know? Well, and, and it seems like for me, it was after um, the last retreat that you and I had together, because I'm a part of your uh, creating culture renewal. And there was something about it when I came back and I was looking at it with my associate pastor and I was like, okay, so I'm done making disciples. We got to make apostles. Like, like Amen, the, the disciples part, like anybody can do Like anybody can, I, I really do believe that the church does a really good job of getting people to follow. But like when it's that next step of, of you know, and I've been using, um, I got asked in our discipleship ministry team this Sunday, you know, what does it mean to be a disciple? And I said, someone who fully gives their prayers, presence, gifts, service, and witness to strengthen the kingdom of God. And they all kind of looked at me like, oh, like they kind of like, oh, are we doing that? And like, I don't know. Like that's really between like, I, hopefully you are. Um, and, and that's a process that you need to process between you and God about how you can step out more and step out further where God is leading you. Um, but I really do believe that the church has kind of done a disservice of taking that next step of saying like, we need to be creating apostles, those people who are being sent out because um, I'm sure like in your book, you have the eight, um, I call it the eight don't or the eight reasons or, or what was it exactly? You had like the eight something. Um, eight symptoms of a church without a vision. Yes. And, yeah. and I was thinking about that and how often, our churches, like the biggest thing that we forget to do is um, share our story. 
and share why we love, like, why do we show up on Sunday morning? Like ask that simple question. Like, why do we like participate? Why do we go on mission trips? Why do we give, um, you know, if we use the statistical average, one third of our income, um, you know, like why are we doing these things and, and, and sharing that impact we have on us? I, I've, I think my frustration has been with the church is that we're so afraid to share our why. And I, and I love that the Simon Sinek, um, uh, Ted talk has been real inspirational for me on sharing our why, why do we love doing this? And, and then as I was digging in your book, it's that whole idea of kind of drawing that out even bigger, like putting it on a whiteboard and having people participate in this process of identifying, you know, identifying. I mean, I, I think, um, we can look at all the books in the world and, and try to, um, like, all right, so we're going to read this book and it's going to show us how to do this. And we're going to institute this thing, but like to really like flesh things out. Um, I got a sense that that's what your book was trying to do is to flesh this process out of us to dream bigger, to dream bigger dreams than just trying to make sure that the budget gets um, filled every year and and that we we meet our statistical averages and and like making a difference on the impact of our communities. Yeah. Like that's so 2010, you know, (laughs) it's, it's 2020 now. And the thing is, is that, um, first uh, there's several things I want to say. Yes. Here's how the book is laid out. It's laid out on the dare model, D A R E dream align, realize and expand. So it's this four step process that empowers people to understand how to dream like Jesus, how to align people to that dream, how to realize the dream and how to expand the dream so that um, people's faith, you know, you deepen in your faith, your, your community deepens in its faith, a congregation deepens in its faith. And um, I do think that, I, I do think mostly, Matt, that when churches talk about vision, what they're really, really talking about is a church improvement plan. How can we be a better church? Well, we should paint the bathrooms. Well, you probably should. You know, we should have better preaching. Yeah, you probably should. Um, we should have worship services that are more lively. Yes, you probably should. We should give more money. Yes, you probably should. But none of that is actually going to make a sustainable shift in the culture of the congregation. What makes the shift is when that church looks beyond itself, as important that is, to the community beyond it, and the vision that it comes up with is not for the survival of the institution, but for the flourishing of the community, for the flourishing of the kingdom. Because you always think about Jesus. He did not come to make Judaism great again, okay? That's not what he was about. He was about this end vision, like the the end fulfillment of Judaism as a whole and for all humanity, because Judaism has always had a humankind-wide vision. And it's, it's for the kingdom of God. It's for all nations to stream, you know, to, to one God in their own tribe, their own language, their own nations. Their, in other words, with their own particularities, um, that they will, you know, recognize that source, that unity that's among us all. So this kingdom dream is about that. So the sooner we get our focus off of how we're going to survive, and we actually put our focus out on the people out there and have a, a Jesus-like dream, by golly, I think the churches actually have a chance of surviving that way, you know? Well, and that was a question I had asked uh, recently when we were looking at Mission Insight um, conversations in our um, ad council meeting. This is the first time that some of them had seen some of these statistics and they were blown away at our demographics and stuff. And so I asked the question, like, how, what would this look like for us to take this at a larger level, at, meaning that um, what would it mean for us if we actually – went after those groups that we were thinking that were, that we wanted. 
um, which are shocking. The shocking demographic for us was the 65 and older was the growth in our community over the next 10 years. Um, and so like, what would it mean for us instead of trying to say, we're going to go get young families, which was one of the declining for the next 10 years to actually go like, and, and broadening those horizons of looking bigger. And some of that I got, I've, I've been able to, and, and that's where, um, you know, we'll, we'll definitely talk about creating a culture renewal here in just a little bit. I want to like set that up for you to talk about, but, um, and that's one of those things that this process, that process has helped me draw it out is like helping them analyze some things that they never had looked at before. Uh, and I think that like with your book, from what I've been able to dive in thus far, um, it kind of draws that small, like pro pro programmatic issue of like meeting our budget, like, or being like, if your church is in debt, like, you know, most churches when they're becoming debt and if they've been doing, if they've been stuck in it for so long, that's their, that's their dream. Like, you know, you ask them, what's your dream? And like, everybody's like, we want to be out of debt. And like, and you know, if you're kingdom oriented pastor, that's like, that's, that's defeating. Like, you're just like, that's not what we're here for. And um, well, you know what I would do, Matt, I would say, okay. And when you're out of debt, what will you then be able to accomplish? And so I would, okay, let's start wherever you're at. You want to be out of debt. Got it. And what would that make possible? Like, why be out of debt? What's the purpose of a debt-free church, you know? Yeah. And so, um, you know, I, I'm really looking forward to finishing this and hoping um, our leadership team is going to dive in this a little bit um, and really start to thinking. We, I, I'm hoping to draw us out to dream bigger, uh, mostly because I felt like we've been dreaming too small and needed something to be a spark for that, a catalyst. And what a better way to have something that points us one towards Jesus. I mean, I think that that's important. I think far too often we've go to these conferences and these books and like, did anybody talk about Jesus today? These things. And you're kind of like, um, we talked about how to build the church. And it's like, but that's like, that's not, why we're here. Like we're here to further the mission of Jesus, not just like have a nice building. And I mean, all those other things that go along with church. Yeah. And I didn't tell you, I should say what, you know, the book is called dream like Jesus. What do I think Jesus's dream is? Let me just share that. What is his mission? Um, I think it's found in the Lord's prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, as simple as that, and as big as that, and as bold as that, and as challenging as that, that the that earth would somehow be a reflection of heaven. All the goodness, all the love, all the light, all the humor, all the bounty, all the justice, all the equity, all the forgiveness, all that stuff that we associate like with the ideal world, like with heaven, that that we're somehow channels for that here on earth. You know, that by co-creating with God, we can be channels of that and raise the light and the the love and the vibration on the planet. And I want to tell you about the five um, surprise elements of a Jesus-like dream, because maybe this will clarify, well, how come it isn't about just paying off the debt? You know, okay. It, and here's, here's what I say. Number one is a Jesus-like dream or a God-sized dream expands assumptions about what's possible. You know, uh, back in Jesus's day, maybe the assumption is that everyone would really live a more Torah observant life, which was a perfectly reasonable sort of expectation or vision to have. But Jesus is like, now nah, let's expand assumptions. Let's go beyond that to what's possible for all of humanity, that, you know, we would be manifestors of the kingdom. Secondly, that the vision is bigger than you are. And Matt, you know, you're talking about, oh, let's pay off the debt. Well, the, a Jesus-like dream is bigger even than that. It's bigger than you are. It's bigger than your community. It's bigger than your congregation. It's got to be big enough that you need God in it. Otherwise, eh, 
It's a goal. It may be a good goal, you know, let's pay off the debt, but it's still a goal. A vision is something sort of far off in the future. You, you can kind of see it, it calls to you, but you can't even make out every single detail, but you know there's no way you can get there on your own. And that leads to the third element of a Jesus-like dream, which is it's got to scare you, Matt. It's gotta, it's gotta make you shake and quake just a little bit because otherwise if there's no fear, there's actually no real need for faith. You know, I don't think faith exists apart from fear. If you're not fearful, it's, you don't need faith. You got it, you know, you're confident, which is good. I'm not against that. I'm just saying it should push us to our edges and so scare us so we really do need God. And then fourth, it's got to focus on the kingdom, not the congregation or the community, not the congregation, that beloved community that doesn't even maybe quite exist yet. But how do you create that? And then fifth, it inspires and it unifies. Although frankly, not everybody. It's not going to unify everybody. There's going to be some people, even though we don't like it, there's going to be some people who say, eh, I don't think I'm in on this one or, or they're not inspired by it. Or it's, it scares them too much or they, it's a different direction than they want to go. Think about it. I mean, Jesus had people that weren't on board with his vision or his dream, and he still went forward. So our visions, our dreams, they're gonna, they're not gonna, they're gonna inspire a lot of people, they're gonna unify a lot of people, and there'll still be people who don't want to be part of it. And that's okay. You know, we love them. You know, we love them and maybe let them go or love them, don't try to coerce them. Love them, you know, tuck them in over here and keep going forward. So and, and you said that, you know, this was a five-year process for you. So like, what was like the most, ex other than like, like sending it off and watching it birth, what was one of the more exciting things as you were putting this together uh, that came up for you? Oh, I can tell you that it was watching you folks in creating a culture renewal prove that this stuff worked because I was really kind of waiting for the evidences to arrive. I had this vision about how it would all work and I needed to actually wait and see it come alive. And it came alive through the various cohorts of creating a culture of renewal. And when I think about why did it, another reason it took five years, one, because I was expanding assumptions about what was possible for me. Two, it was a heck of a lot bigger than me. Three, it scared the poop out of me and I didn't know if I could really do this. Four, it forced me to continue to move beyond myself. And when you're scared, you know, it keeps you small. And five, it inspired me uh, but sometimes I was my own pushback against myself. <laughs> so I, you know, I had to go through all five of these steps myself just to get this book out. Um, and so it was definitely, definitely good. Book. Yeah, definitely a good test case to make sure that like you were birthing something that you knew that would be like, you know, you know, you can say, you know, I did it and it's done and it feels good to be done. Um, I know, I knew that you were excited about it because you shared with us, you know, at the, the last retreat that, you know, you were just excited that it was coming out and, and all the anticipation for that. And, um, you know, I'm not one to write a book for a lot of reasons. <laughs> it's not necessarily on my radar uh, yet. Um, but I know that like, for me, like, I know that it would be not necessarily putting it together, but knowing that like it's done and hearing mm -hmm. those words, like it's done and then watching yeah. what happens with that. And so with that, you're, um, it, um, you want to talk a little bit about the webinars that you're going to have with, um, the book, yeah. uh, dream like Jesus. Love to. Yeah. Um, we're offering a course. It starts January 14th. It'll run four Tuesdays, five to six thirty PM mountain time. And they'll all be recorded in case anybody has to miss. And the book is called Dare, Dare to Dream Like Jesus. And it's going to take us on this four-week journey deep into the heart of the book. 
and deep into the heart of each of those elements, D-A-R-E. And Matt, there are worksheets in the book that are also found on our website uh, at dreamlikejesus.com or rebeccasimonpeter.com. You can find the, the worksheets there. And we're I don't know about you, but I do a little better in structured environments. Like it's one thing to read a book like, oh, that was a great book. You know, I, I'm going to do 10 things with it. And then I'm on to the next thing. But if I'm in a structured course or environment, I'm with people, we're holding the space together, I'm much more likely to actually do something with that material. So I wanted to create a space that gave people the freedom and the structure to dive in deep together, to dream together, and to begin to map out their steps so that they could actually take on a Jesus-like dream and, and have the courage and the community to have a big, big, big dream and not just shrink back into a church improvement plan. And, so, and you're saying, and you're saying this is open for, for anybody or any church kind of leadership team that wants to, to, to put it together. Anybody. You don't even have to be a Christian. You don't have to be a part of a church. You certainly don't have to be United Methodist. You don't have to be a leader. You could just be interested in how to dream like Jesus and there's a link for registration on the course. We're offering a registration two ways, one individually, and it's $179 per person. You get a free copy of the book. We'll send it out to you with my signature. And the other way is if you get 10 people, then it's um, you only pay for five. So we're actually trying to have you know groups of people come on and be a part of it. And uh, so there's a special link for that. We can make that available on your website or send people to our website for that. Yeah, we'll definitely have a link uh, on our website for um, the book and then also like the, you know, all the stuff that you do. Um, so that way our listeners, if this is new to them or um, maybe they've kind of heard about you through whatever entity that that may happen, um, that they can find a way to connect with you and be a part of either, you know, just getting the book or, you know, being a part of the webinar or even uh, looking at some of the other things that you offer. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that here in just a little bit. Um, and so, so, so the two are connected, the, the Dream Like Jesus workshop and the book. And so it, um, they, they'll, they'll be one of, it'll be one of those things that, that churches and, uh, you know, anybody can really just pull, if they want to go deeper, if they want to take that next step, if they want to move towards being more of, a, of an apostle, this would definitely be a, a track for them, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. If you just want to even just dare a little bit more than you've been daring. Maybe you're not even sure about being an apostle. Maybe you're not even sure about being a disciple. You just want to dive in a little bit more of essential Jesus message. This would be a great course for you. And so, um, you know, as we kind of transition from one thing to the next, I, and you don't want to leave the book, to, you know, is there anything else about the book that you want to share that you feel like maybe we've missed or something that you would like to, to lift up? Um, so it, you know, might entice people more to dive in more to, yeah. to look at the book. You know, I, I, I tell a lot of my own story in the preface and I tell, you know, how I came to even have this Jesus experience and why I wrote the book. And I was a pastor for over 10 years, 11 and a half years. And I, I loved it and I hated it. And what I hated was not, I mean, I didn't hate ministry. I just, I hated not really knowing how to motivate people to have these big dreams. And um, part of my journey, I've been in the ministry for the better part of 25 years now. Um, was to help shape larger conversations in the church. I just feel like that was my second calling was to, to help shape these larger conversations. So this is part of that. I feel like this is within the wheelhouse. And when I, when I first started into this kind of ministry, you know, people told me we, we need to have 
leadership development. And I, I just like to tell this on myself. I thought, what do I know about leadership development? I don't know anything about leadership development. I went off to learn. And it was in that learning process that I discovered a lot of the riches about the kind of leadership development that Jesus did. I mean, I mean, Think about it in those terms. Jesus was not only a leader, he developed leaders. And that's that discipleship to apostleship thing. So I think if we're talking about leadership development in the church or for spiritual people, we've got to look at how Jesus did it. And this book is a lot about how Jesus did it, how he actually developed leaders. Um, and the D.A.R.E. model is about that. So I think people are going to see Jesus in a new way. That's my hope, both with this book and with creating a culture of renewals, that people are going to see Jesus in a new way, and they're going to see themselves in a new way. So if you want to step out of like standard Christianity and just the way church does things and to sort of open things up and look at things in a new way, check it out. I, I, I think you're going to be uh, expanded, you know, you'll like it. Yeah. And, and like I said, um, I, I've definitely um, been a part of um, your creating culture renewal and um, have found that very um, life-giving in a lot of different ways. And, um, and I've seen growth in me as a leader, but then also, you know, just some personal growth things, being able to recognize some things that I hadn't before going through. Um, I'm in uh, finishing, I'm halfway through track two. Yay. Halfway through <laughs> um, track two. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and we have a, um, we have a phenomenal cohort, um, our cohort. I, I believe ours is the best, but that's just me. Know, right? <laughs> uh, you know, I know everybody says that, but, uh, I, I've enjoyed being a part of that process. It does allow, um, uh, me and my congregation I currently serve, um, to be strengthened, to see themselves in ways that they hadn't thought about otherwise and, and to recognize, um, who they are and, um, kind of that platinum rule of treating people how um, they ought to be, you know, they ought to be treated in, in that love of, we, we talk about it as love here. How do we share love and, and being open to who someone is and where they're coming from. And that has helped expand our kind of, it's helped us be a little bit bigger than what we were before. Um, and I've definitely seen some growth um, because of just the um, paying attention to how other people's are and and not just discounting them for who they are but seeing what they bring to the table and whatever whatever speed that they have to move but recognizing we can't be stuck in one speed of either not making a decision or making so many decisions we forgot that what we made or being oriented that we've forgotten that there are projects to be done and and that we're not attending to the projects because we're so stuck on the people and and having that balance has been very healthy for our congregation, the congregation I serve. I'm really looking forward to, I mean, I'm not looking forward to that next appointment because I really don't want to move or anything, but I feel like I have a toolkit to be able to take with me to my next appointment to be able to say, Hey, let's, let's figure each other out for just a little bit. Let's fill each other out. And to me, that's what I felt like I've done to this point with also being able to see some leadership, um, blind spots that I didn't recognize before that will help me face some of the fears that I have when I come to the table um, uh, as a leader and, and push through those things that may hold me back or be open to those opportunities of say, stepping up and speaking or, you know, whatever it is, like whatever. Um, and I've really appreciated uh, the work that you and your faculty have uh, done with the creating cultural in our annual conference and have seen some fruit, um, and so why don't you talk about that a little bit more, uh, more yeah. so than what I <laughs> processed. You're great. 
It's great, Matt. Yeah, creating a culture of renewal is the three-year process. And actually, Dream Like Jesus is the distillation of the wisdom of creating a culture of renewal in book form. Um, and so creating a culture of renewal is a three-year process that moves leaders of whatever sort in, in the life of ministry, moves leaders from um, step one to congregational intelligence, applying, implying emotional intelligence to the life of a congregation or a conference or a district or a diocese uh, or a presbytery um, or a nonprofit group. So applying deeply emotional, you know, emotional intelligence, like what is going on with my people? Who are they? You know, what makes them tick and what ticks them off? So you learn a lot about your people and the culture of the organization that you're working in. And you learn a lot about yourself, like, hmm, who am I? And how is my way of being rippling into them and them rippling into me? And we, we do it using the DISC as our model for human behavior and uh, deeply understanding you know, who folks are, their, their fears, their priorities, their motivators, um, the things they overuse, the qualities they may be reluctant to use. And so it's just a great grounding and understanding the culture of the congregation. And then the second step is leadership smarts. That's where you are, Matt. And the truth is, you know, and I know as leaders, we're not always so smart. You know, <laughs> we have our ideas, we have our promptings, but there's certain fears that just keep us from fully living out our calling, whatever that calling may be. So in leadership smarts, we're really looking at moving things from the fear column to the faith column and expanding our capacities as leaders to respond to the promptings of God, to have the courage to do the kinds of things we're, we're prompted to do. And we also look at how Jesus led and it turns out he led with a big, bold vision. So part of track two is coming up with a vision and that's where dream like Jesus comes from, a Jesus-like dream. And track three takes it one step farther. So you've got congregational intelligence, that's one. Leadership smarts, that's two. And then three is culture shift. How do you actually, now that you know your people, now that you know yourself and you're more faithful and less fearful and you have a big dream, how do you actually move that whole culture into a shifted place where um, they're on board with you in this dream? They're they're working with you. You're all working together in one direction with this dream that's community focused, that's kingdom oriented, that's outward looking, and that creates a sustainable shift in culture. That's what, that's really what creating a culture of renewal is all about. Moving from the church improvement plan to the, to the kingdom vision and shifting the church along the way so that it's not just focused on, I hope you guys are still around when it's time for me to get buried, uh, to, gosh, how can we really make a difference in our community? Oh, Matt, one of the things that's been so shocking for me as I've led creating a culture of renewal is churches don't actually know the positive impact they have on their communities. We don't actually know that. That always shocks me because I say, I say to church leaders, um, what would your community be like if you as the church were actually operating at your full potential? You've never seen a more dumbfounded look on very smart people's faces. You know, I never thought about it. But we got, you know, we don't understand what a powerful impact we have. And that's part of what CCR is about, is helping churches understand their potential to make a real difference in the community. So I, I love posing that question to people. <laughs> well, I think the thing for me, this this go around in, in track two, the, the one that's been like kind of I call it the haunting mantra that has been like kind of just 
um, pushing me further um, yeah. is that people only go as far as you're willing to lead them. And right. so that has definitely, um, that's helped me take some steps that I probably wouldn't have taken otherwise, because I know that if I want them to be in a better place, like I have to go there too. I can't just say, Hey, it's over there. It looks really nice. Yeah. Just, just go over there. I'm going this way. Cause, cause the district superintendent's going to move me this way. And like, you know, I'm going over here. You all over here. It was really nice. Yeah. But, but to know that I'm going to walk with them in this transition time and period has been, um, super helpful. Um, and, um, we, and that's where a lot of our growth and changes has happened in our congregation with this is, um, and some of it's on our leadership team that have been a part of this, this process of the, of my leadership team in creative culture renewal. They have started seeing things and applying things that they've seen, um, whether it's through looking at their disc profile, like saying, Oh, so this is why I do things. And this is why people get upset with me. Um, yeah. and, and being aware of who we are and how we lead and then getting over those barriers that, that get in our way of who we are. It's not that they're bad things. It's just like, sometimes, you know, we protect ourselves too much because we like our safe and comfortable place. But we know yeah. that in order for our people to take those next steps, we have to go out on a limb. And it's fun to watch. It's been fun to watch, um, to watch our people, like watch my people, be able to take those steps and do things that we never had imagined uh, before. We just finished up uh, before I came on with you. Um, we did a reverse advent calendar this year, and I had no clue how it was going to go. This was new to them. It was new to me, and I just said, "All right, we're going to do this." And, um, we made sure like one of the things I was adamant about is that we talked to each style. So that way we could make sure that each style felt like that they could buy into this. And we had more food than I, more stuff that we had asked for than I had ever imagined. I just expected one little section of our kneeling rail to like, if we could get one little section of our kneeling rail to be done, I'd be happy. Like, I'd be like, yeah, we did it. You know, we can do better next year. But our whole kneeling rail from one end to the other was completely filled with items. And people were bringing in items today because they knew that we were getting things ready to take tomorrow for Christmas Eve for various organizations. And I don't think that would have happened had I not been willing to go um, further than what I had just kind of, you know, I got, I got complacent with. And, and that's where, to me, um, creating cultural renewal has forced me to, to dream bigger, to do um, to expand and, and have tools to expand. It's not that I didn't know how to do things differently. It's not that I, but to be able to have some tools to push those walls down to create new space has been very healthy for me and my congregation and um, has led to a whole lot of other things that um, will, you know, that, you know, just to get to later, but. um, I think one of the things that creating a culture of renewal does best is it gives you as the leader permission to try new stuff. It gives you permission to branch out. It gives you permission to do stuff you're scared about, in part because one of the things you do in track two is you take a leadership profile that gives you input from your people and you find out exactly from them what they'd like more of from you. And that, God, that could be so freeing to know, oh, they want me to be bolder. Oh, they, they want me to stretch the boundaries. Okay, I can do that, you know. Or lead you into a deep depression and have to go to deep therapy like <laughs> like mine kind of did because I didn't, I realized, like, but no, it's been a health, like, I will take that, like, um, I take that with a sense of growth and that, like, I, at the time I didn't appreciate it, but I knew that I needed help. And so that helped me see some things that I need to and definitely some growth. Um, but I think, you know, like, 
I've enjoyed being a part of this process. And I know Zach did too. Um, Zach had some changes in his life that have kind of hampered his part of it, but I've kind of, Zach, if you ever get any money or time, like definitely like you need to go jump back on track too and, and start back. Cause I think, I think he could, but, um, and he sends his apologies. Um, Zach today had, um, they were trying to do, you know, how it is you try to do a Christmas Eve rehearsal and you get everybody together and then everybody it just kind of pushes things. To, you know, you, you plan for an hour, but it ends up being two and that's, Yep. unable to be with us today and so oh, okay. uh rebecca we give you i give you thanks for your time i want to honor your time i know um uh you have a lot on your plate in this season and we're so thankful for you um zach and i are definitely uh, big fans of of um, what you're trying to do um, for the kingdom of god and um you know um, we'll have all the information to all your links to your book to you know the the webinars to everything creating culture renewal we'll have that up on the bearded theologians website and, uh, um, you know, we, we thank you for your time. And so for the bearded theologians, I'm Matt Franks and Zach Bechtold is, uh, out on call. And so thank you for checking us out. We hope you've enjoyed the conversations that we've had today on the bearded theologians beardcast. And we'd encourage you to continue those conversations online at beardedtheologians.com or on our Facebook page. We also hope that you pick up a couple of coffee mugs to uh, satisfy your coffee mug collection. Have a good day. Merry Christmas.